And ladies and gentlemen, BGEs and Gucci's alike, thanks for joining us on the Aftershock podcast, uh, Mr. Pixel. And along for the ride today, we have David Shock, or I guess we still haven't figured out. Is it David Shock or D Shock? What are we doing? It's, it's either one. Either one. Well, you can't leave it up to me because I know I'm just going to change it into something weird. So, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't really care. So, okay. All right. Well, we'll figure it out. We have time. Yeah. So, as of right now, we don't have a lot of whole lot of housekeeping. Um, we're still up in the air and we're kind of building our catalog as it is. Um, so, today is going to be another uh, episode where we just kind of have somebody along for the ride and we're just on this one, we're going to go play fast and loose with it and, and see where it goes. So, uh, along with us today, we have Mr. Bo, is it Bowles? I guess I should yes. ask this beforehand. Bowles. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure I don't want to mispronounce your name. So, um, well, Bo, welcome. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, anybody that's, uh, frequented the, the Facebook or the, the discord and i'm sure they know who you are you're you're a pretty regular face in there with some of our other characters whether it's in discussion or just providing material that people can follow along with and, and look at and enjoy so i guess we'll get the the awkward intro at the beginning i guess if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll we'll go from there you can have at it okay uh, let's see, a uh, little bit about me, uh, just kind of a normal guy, uh, ex-military. I did six years, uh, one tour overseas. Uh, that was 06 and 07. Always been into guns, been into prepping and survival type stuff for uh, a long time as well. Never really had a true path into it or a true idea of where I was going to go with it. I just always felt that there was there was something coming and I wanted to be ready for when it hit. So, you know, I've never been one of those people who are like, it's an EMP. It's going to get us. Everybody needs a Faraday cage. I've never been, I've never been one of those or like, Oh, it's, it's Yellowstone. Yay. Yeah. Yellowstone's going to get us. So I, I've never... I've never really had like a, I just always knew something was coming. And if you actually had to hold me down, I always feared to be some sort of social economic collapse, uh, mm. some sort of internal civil war. I never actually knew or was like, this is why I'm planning. It was just some bad shit could happen and I want to be ready. Right. So that's what kind of led me into the, uh, the prepper slash uh, survivalist sort of mentality. And like I said, always been a fan of guns. I grew up shooting 22s with my my dad, 22s and shotguns. And then as soon as I had adult money, it was AKs and ARs. <laughs> and uh, it just kind of went from there, you know, yeah. uh, taking a few training classes to try to try to make myself better. Kind of uh, adopted the uh, the saying try to be harder to kill today mm -hmm. than you were yesterday and uh, try to make yourself harder to kill. Right. So that's about it. I'm always mm -hmm. learning, always trying to push any knowledge I've got, because if I can help you and you're in the tribe, that helps me. So right. the more help I've got, the easier my job is. So, right. Right. 
uh, that that's kind of been my philosophy on it. So share what I know and, and learn what I can. In, um, in preparation, do you think that there's a huge disparity between, like you said, whether it's Yellowstone or the EMP or whatever, do you think there's really that big of a difference between what you would need to do to get ready? Or do you think there's kind of a, a wide base where you can, everybody could kind of start. And then if you, I guess, later on, you want to specialize, you could, you could do that. Uh, yes and no. I mean, you could get wrapped around the axles and be just totally caught up on EMP. That's all it's going to be. It's going to be an EMP. I read the book. I seen the movie. That's what it is. And then you put too many eggs in one basket and, you know, yeah, you've got a Faraday cage. Yeah. You've got this. Yeah. You've got that. But you know, have you, have you got yourself ready for, okay, instead of being uh, EMP, it ends up being a massive earthquake in your area. And now you need to get you and your family out, but you've spent all of your time and energy making yourself a EMP proof bunker. Mm. And you don't have anything else. You don't have a fallback plan. That's why, you know, we kind of joke around and say, you know, be ready for the zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we use that really very tongue in cheek because we're not actually ready or preparing for the walking dead. It's if you're ready for a zombie apocalypse, you should be ready for just about anything. So mm -hmm. you should have that bug out vehicle. You should have that bug out bag. You should have, you know, that get home bag. You should have, right. you know, the food to survive. You should have the ammo that's needed. It's I, I think you can get wrapped around the axles if you spend too much time focusing on one thing. But at the same time, you've got to be focused enough that you're not like, ooh, beans. And then like the next <laughs> the next day, you're like, ooh, bullets. You know, you've got to be able to say, okay, well, what bullets, what beans, what, what do right. I need? How does that look for, for you, like on your preparedness, how many avenues do you go down? My preparedness has really been changing lately. I was one of the guys who got caught up in all of the books, got caught up in all the movies, got caught up in, and all of the make-believe and, you know, the, I've got a video on YouTube where I talk about prepper fiction, prepper fantasy, and I got caught up in that world. And that world was, you know, I need an 85 pound bug out bag. I need this. I need that. And what I've really been kind of coming back to is what I look at as more of a reality based approach to prepping and to uh, survivalism. And that's going to be lighter is faster and time equals survivability. Um, if I've got an 85 pound bug out bag and I'm planning on, you know, going out and living in the woods, how many other fools are going to go out and live in the woods with their 85 pound bags? You know, everybody's going to be doing that, that has thought of it. So all of a sudden you're not alone in the woods. There's everybody there. So I've been scaling everything back to more of a, a realistic uh, what might be needed for a general event of some sort, whether it's the social economic, whether it's the EMP, whether it's Yellowstone, you know, what is more realistic? Well, okay, I'm realistically going to need food. I'm realistically going to need some ammo. I'm realistically going to need a couple of guns. But what I don't realistically need is 10,000 rounds of 22 to barter and what I don't really need is, you know, 20 pounds and gold bars 
because I'm going to barter that and keep my family safe and buy my way into this underground bunker with it. You know, uh, it, it all sounds really good, but you fall into that prepper fiction, prepper fantasy world. And it's really hard to, to pull yourself out. Where do you, where do you think a lot of that comes from? I've, I'm not, a. I guess the the fiction itself could come from just about any source. I know there's like a large genre of books and literature and that we're, I guess, which angle of that, which, which are you coming from? Is, is it, is it books or just, just some of the things that people, like you say, they're getting wrapped around the axle and they're just making these articles about here's what you need to do. Here's, here's how you get out of it. Like, where, where do you think that's coming from? I, honestly, I think it's probably like a multi-pronged attack on the normal person. I mean, you get told that, you know, if you're in the survival community, two is one, one is not. Mm -hmm. And there is some truth to that, right. you know, but you get pushed into this and then, you know, okay, if you wanted to learn about uh, what you would need to do to prepare. So you're, you're, you're brand new in this and you're like, ah, I need to learn how to prepare. How do I learn? You're going to go to YouTube. You're going to go to websites. You're going to start reading books about preparedness. And a lot of these places are so focused on the fantasy or the fiction aspect. I mean, you can't really find a good real book about the social economic collapse of the United States and what to do to prepare for it. Why? because it's never happened. I mean, we had the Great Depression. You could read a Depression era book, but that was so long ago that it's not really going to transcend to today. I mean, you're talking about people who barely had cars, who everybody had a farm, who barely went and bought groceries. I mean, they would buy 50 pounds of flour back then versus now where everything comes from McDonald's or comes in a single serving. So, I mean, you, you can't really learn how to prep from reading those. So people have to fall into the, the fiction world. So you read books like Going Home, One Second Later, or uh, One Second After, uh, The Patriots. You know, you, you read books like this, and then you're like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. I want to have a year's worth of carrots, and I want to have 5,000 rounds of this, and the, the truth of the matter is, is that if you had 5,000 rounds, what's the odds that you're going to be able to survive 5,000 rounds worth of gunfight, especially if you're by yourself or you're with a small group, your family? I mean, just take it. Let, let's play a numbers game. You live in a town with 100 people. In a town with 100 people, they say that the average percentage of Americans who, who own guns is 30 to 40%. So let's say that people are lying on this and they don't answer that question because they don't want people to know. So let's say 50% of households in America have guns. So that means your town of 100, there's you and 49 other people in the town who have guns. Mm -hmm. Your 5,000 rounds of ammo, are you really going to be able to fight off those 49 other people if the town turns against you? No. So that ammo, although like right now it would be great to have so you could continue to practice, isn't really realistic when it comes to an end of the world scenario 
Now, I mean, if they quit making ammo and you couldn't ever buy any more, then yeah, you're going to be ahead of the curve. But we know that even in the shortage right now, you can still buy ammo. It's more expensive, mm -hmm. but it can still be bought. You have to hunt a little bit harder, but it's still there. It can still be delivered to your house even. You don't even have to leave your house and you can have it delivered to you. So, I mean, in this world of convenience, even though we're inconvenienced at the time, we still have <laughs> You know, Amazon still brings you stuff. UPS still brings you stuff. So, I mean, it's not the end of the world. Right. So that, that, that's where people, I think that's where people mess up is they don't have an actual place to go to where someone's like, dude, realistically, you've got 49 other households in this town. Do you really think you're going to be able to hold them off if they come towards you? No. Okay. Then we need to plan for A and B and C. So how do we plan for those? And that's, that's kind of where I've been trying to learn and wrap my head around how to do this and how to get out of that prepper fantasy of I've got this bag and I've got 12 AR mags and I've got an LPOP out in the middle of nowhere and I'm talking to people on my radio and, you know, I'm making deals with the next town and they're going to patrol this way and I'm going to patrol. It's, it sounds awesome. And all of us who are into this gun and gear shit, I mean, we're all like, ooh, Molly. <laughs> I love hearing about it. But the truth is, is I mean, you're, you're once again, numbers game. Anytime, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was, I was just going to ask, uh, what made you switch from the fantasy to the, to the, you know, reality-based prepping? Honestly, uh, it was YouTube. Um, I've got my own little YouTube channel. It's Arkansas Outdoors channel. I've got like less than a thousand subscribers. So, I mean, it's a tiny little channel and even my tiny little channel on the stuff that I have posted of, you know, preparedness, gun reviews, whatever you go down and you read the comments and some of them are like, this is what I'm going to use when the Russians come for me and I'm going to fight them off and you're dumb for wanting to get rid of that gun. And and it just, I kept seeing it. And then I, I am a big consumer of other channels as well, because I like, I like helping people. I mean, my view helps them. My minutes help them just like it helps me if I could ever get monetized. You know, I'm, I'm not monetized on YouTube. If I were every single second that someone watches helps me. So I like helping these other people. Um, but I just kept seeing no one or very, very few of them were more reality-based. It was these people giving out what I thought was bad advice. You know, they're talking, wearing a bug out bag and you've got 12 AR magazines in it. Your chest rig has four to eight AR magazines in it. You've got your AR-15 with, you know, your freaking red dot and your light and all this aftermarket shit on it. And then you've got, you know, these special tactical pants and then you've got these special tactical boots. And, you know, next thing you know, they're seriously trying to run around with like a hundred pounds on them, but you're watching the guy and he's like getting out of breath, just telling you about running. He's not actually <laughs> even running. And I was just like, we, we need people. We need people who, who can actually, you know, say, Hey, you know what? Right now, all you've got is a high point, and I'm sorry that that's all you can afford. 
work with what you've got until you can get that next level up, till you can get that Ruger, till you can get that Glock. Okay, now that you've got that Glock, that's a good end of the world gun. It's gonna last you a really long time. Everybody has parts for it. Here are some real cheap parts you can buy, these springs, and you've got a rebuild kit, basically. All right, now you're in this gun, you've got a rebuild kit, you've got some magazines. Okay, now you're realistically able to protect your family. So now from there, let's build into what ifs. Now that you've got the basic way to protect yourself, I would a lot rather see somebody with a freaking high point who goes to a a class and if the high point lasted through the class i don't know if they will i'll put that out there but i'd lot rather someone go with an inexpensive gun and make it through a training class and learn how to use that to protect themselves and their family than see some guy with a gucci out 1911 nighthawk that's three grand and he can't keep it in a freaking eight inch circle at five yards so seeing all of that on youtube is what kind of pushed me and made me go you know what that's some bullshit, man. I mean, it's some bullshit. And, you know, I'm just as guilty of it. I've got, you know, behind me here, I've got like four vests. Who's going to wear them? You know, I've got guns. I've got helmets. I, I, you know, what, what am I going to do with it? I'm probably going to end up giving it to bad guys when I have 10 bad guys come to my house and overrun me and take all of my shit. You know, that's probably what's really going to happen. Uh, so like what I was saying just a second ago, it's a numbers game. There's a 50% chance when you enter into a gunfight that you are not going to win. There's a 50% chance that you are going to die. And people need to wrap their head around this. Every time it is a one-on-one gunfight, there is a 50% chance you are not going home. There are ways that you can minutely change that. But the thing is, is you never know what your opponent has done to change those as well. Is he wearing an undercover vest? Are you wearing an undercover vest? Have you went to this class? Has he went to that class? Does he know how to properly hold a gun and squeeze a trigger? Is he going to get lucky? You don't know any of those anytime you go into a gunfight. So, you know, that's more of the reality base that I've been following, follow, falling into in my own mindset, you know. You have guys who have all this ammo, all these guns. If you get a 50-50 chance in a gunfight one-on-one, if there's two bad guys against you, you have a 75% chance of dying. If there's three guys against you, you have a 90-something percent chance of dying. If there's four, you have like a 99.999% chance that those four are going to take you out. So... You know, like I said, there's minute things that you can do to change that. And you should be doing those minute things that you can. But even taking a class versus someone who doesn't take, for example, uh, let's say one of the let's say there's two guys coming after you. One of them is a gangbanger and the other one is his grandpa who was raised up as in the deer woods. Okay, the grandpa you're probably going to have more trouble with than the gangbanger. He's probably going to be holding his gun sideways and running towards you shooting. You're probably going to get him all right. But it's the grandpa who's sitting back with his 30-30 at about 85 yards and the wood line that you can't see who's going to pop you in the cranium. So you've got to think about this in a more realistic way. I don't want to be fatalistic because there is always a chance, but you need to be more realistic when you think about this. And instead of thinking, I'm just going to run in guns ablaze and pistols akimbo and, you know, I'm freaking John Wick because I've watched his movies so many times. 
that's not how it works is there is there a term for these like is this like the larpers the fuds like is there a <laughs> i don't really want to put a, a term on them i not not on them i believe that people are living in prepper fantasy or prepper fiction uh prepper fiction is kind of needed prepper fantasy is not needed uh prepper fiction is okay what do i need to prepare for so in my prepper fantasy or my i'm sorry in my prepper fiction is an economic collapse of some sort so in that situation i need to see what i need to do to survive that it's fiction because it hasn't happened yet. Right. So if it does happen, it's no longer fiction. That's why you need a little bit of fiction. You need to be able to think outside the box on how you can keep you and yours safe. Now, the fantasy is where you go into pretend world. And I don't want to call it LARPing because those people might actually be learning a skill. You know, I mean, as much as I made fun of my son for playing airsoft, you know, I'm there. It, depending on who you're with and how you attack it, that could mm -hmm. be a valuable learning skill. Now, is it going to be as good as live fire with a real weapon? Probably not, but you're getting a lot of good force on force when you're doing that. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to necessarily call them fuds or call them <laughs> LARPers or anything like that. I just, I, honestly, I think it's really good people who have gotten themselves just in too deep into, into whatever, uh, their their fiction was has now became a fantasy and now they're too far down and you know it's the guys that are like I, you know I, I've got eight years worth of food in my garage I've got this I've got right. you know I bought a, a deuce and a half because it's multi-fuel and I'm going to use it to bug out and you know I'm, I'm built a bunker out in the middle of Arizona but I live in Connecticut and I'm going to make it really <clears throat> I mean, you really think that you really think I, if, if things were absolutely bonkers, I'm not going to try to make it more than 10 miles, much less across the state. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, they got the, too the, rabbit hole. Yeah. They, you fall too far down the rabbit hole and you get caught up in your own fantasy, you know, over, overestimating your skill. I, I I've been to the Costa class for rifle. I've been to the Costa class for pistol. Both of those classes, there were people there, more than one person on the line who could smoke me. So, you know, I, I know that even in that class, there are people that are better than me. When I was in the Army, there was always someone who shot better than me. I pride myself on being a good shot. I pride myself on the fact that I've hunted and I've successfully taken deer and that, you know, I, I've, I've trained. And even though I've trained, there are people out there on Instagram who would smoke me down in a heartbeat. So you've got to get, you, you don't want to be fatalistic to the point where you're like, Oh, I'm going to die. I just give up. But you need to be realistic in the point and being, you know, Hey, there are guys that are better than me. They are probably some of them in my town who can outshoot me, who can outrun me, who can outsurvive me. So I need to do everything I can now to try to beat them when that time comes. So you managed to get out of the rabbit hole. What, what, what do you, what do you think it's, it, it takes for other people or what would be a good way to help get them out of that? 
that's what I'm trying to do with my channel right now. I mean, uh, I'm posting more realistic type videos. You know, my my go to war belt is you know pretty bare bones compared to anyone else you look at on YouTube. And I mean, realistically, it's got a holster for my pistol. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's got a holster for my pistol. Got two spare magazines for it one ar magazine or ak magazine depending on which rifle i decide i want to have with me and first aid that's it and the one of the reasons that i think that's a, a more realistic approach is weight is going to slow you down being bulky is going to slow you down what is going to make a difference in a gunfight or in any fight is time the one who controls the time is the one who controls the fight. So that's, that's what kind of helped me find my way out is I just got tired of the bullshit. I got tired of watching these guys, you know, say one thing when you know that they couldn't do it mm. or say one thing and then berate somebody because they didn't have the, you know, gold cup match 1911 this that or another how how dare you have a rock island you know yeah there's some stuff that you need to spend quality on but i'd lot rather i'd lot rather be next to a guy in a foxhole who has shot his rock island 1911 10,000 times than a guy who has a colt or a kimber or a nighthawk or whatever high-end brand you want to name and he's fired it five times, right. you know? Uh, so for me, it was just a matter of, I guess, getting old and being tired of the bullshit. So I started looking at it in a more realistic way. And I think what people need to do to pull themselves out of it is actually just kind of set back and look, look at what you've bought, look at all of your gear, lay it out in the floor. You know, go to the basement, go to the garage, go to your spare bedroom, whatever, wherever you've got your stuff and lay it all out and take a picture of it and sit there and think about how are you realistically going to be able to employ all this shit? And it, I, I did that on accident. I was uh, on the Facebook group for Wasted Ammo. And I had posted a picture, and this had been probably, probably close to two years ago. I had laid out, I had literally built four kits of different carries, you know, AK, this, this AK rifle with this optic, with this vest, with this armor, with this, you know, freaking chest rig, with this many magazines. And I just laid out time after time. And I had, I had them all set out in one video or in one picture. And I took a picture and I posted it. And I was like, I got four complete setups, four complete medical kits. I'm ready to, to take care of my buddies. If anybody shows up, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, then I thought about it. How ridiculous is this? I mean, for real, I, I, I built four good kits to give to people if things go bad do you know how much 
training, how much self-improvement I could do if I had one kit and a backup and use the money from the other two kits to, to train or to maybe, maybe get night vision or something that I don't have. You know, it is dark literally half of your life. You know, I still don't have night vision, but I should. So, you know, I mean, I, I think, I think what people need to do is just take a serious look at what you've got and how in the world you would move it in five minutes. You know, there's that, uh, at the movie heat and I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. He said, never get attached to anything. You can't leave. And I think it was five minutes. It might be less than that. Uh, so look at, look at your, your, your preps and everything like that. What could you survive with if you had to leave in five minutes? And I don't mean make for sure you've got a good bug out bag that weighs 85 pounds and you've got, you know, this many MREs. No, look at your stuff and be like, if I were to die five minutes from now, defending my family, can my family use this stuff? Does my family know how to use this stuff? You know, uh, what, what would happen if I'm gone five minutes from now, I'm dead. Who's getting all this ammo? If it's an end of the world, whatever your end of the world situation is to you, whatever your prepper fiction is to you, whether it's, you know, Yellowstone or whatever, look at your stuff and go, you know what? In five minutes, I'm dead. I've fought off the first wave of attackers. They're gone. You know, I John Wick, 10 of them. I'm badass. Uh, unfortunately, I got hit. Now I bled out. My family's laying here looking at me dead and all of this shit in the room going, uh, do you know which gun takes which bullets? <laughs> For me, and I, I probably got this from you, Bo, is, is weight. You know, this, this time last year, I was doing a lot of traveling for work. I'd be in Asheville, you know, from Ohio to Asheville every other week. And the first couple of times I went, you know, I'd pack a get home bug out bag because I was, you know, six hours in a car away from home. And one of the things that hit me was lugging this 40 to 60 pound bag in and out of a hotel room every day. Cause I didn't want to leave it in the hotel room. And it was, so it'd go out into my truck, go to work, come back out of the truck into the hotel. And after the first couple of weeks, it was like, this is too much. And if, and realistically, I'm not going to walk 400 miles home. I mean, that's just not going to happen. I'm going to have to drive home if something happens and steal a car or a bicycle or a motorcycle or something to make that happen. So I think, you know, for me, it was, it was weight was kind of a big thing. And, and do I really need it? I, uh, I learned a lot about weight and kind of helped me say these guys are I, to help me call bullshit on these guys on YouTube. And I look at some of their bags and they don't necessarily say how much they weigh. They're like, Oh, I think it weighs 40 pounds. And I'm like, I think it's a lot more than that because 40 pounds adds up a lot quicker than people think. Mm -hmm. When, when I started hiking, I started doing longer distance hikes. Now I'm not talking, you know, a hundred mile days or anything like that. But when I started doing longer hikes, 17 to 20 miles, I learned real quick that on uneven rough terrain, a 35 pound bag, a 35 pound bag kicked my ass way worse than a 20 pound bag did. And I started paring everything down. 
I, I fell into the rabbit hole of, you know, people who do through hikes and looking at the stuff that they buy and the stuff that they use because they literally live out of their bag for six months while they're walking the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. There's some really good info that you can learn by watching these people and how they live their life literally out of their backpack for walking 2000 miles and, you know, how they have to resupply. And I really learned a lot for a get home bag from that. And I, I, I really, I realized a bug out bag is kind of bullshit after, after hiking and after seeing these people who live out of their bag and watching multiple people do these thousand, 2000 mile hikes. And after me personally going, you know, on 30 mile weekends, I learned a lot about me and my body. And now maybe, you know, everybody's body is different. Uh, I, I think I'm in pretty good shape for my age. I work out, I ride bikes, I hike, I kayak. I, I'm a very active person and I'm still getting my ass kicked on rough terrain with just a bug out, what would be a bug out bag, but it's my, my hiking bag, you know, and it's, I've got it down to like 25, about 25 pounds with food and water. So, you know, that's a pretty respectable weight if you're looking at the hiking community and doing 17 miles with a 25 pound bag is pretty darn tough depending on your terrain. So I, I learned a whole lot about weight from doing that. And I would highly recommend if you're wanting a bug out bag, a get home bag or whatever, I, I did a video on one of mine. It's a quick little setup I did. I'm actually in the process of changing it. Um, but watch some of the people who do through hikes. Watch what they call base weight. There's a whole bunch of them on YouTube. Go there and just type in through hike. And you will find just person after person who has done this. And you can learn a whole lot about how to cut weight and how to live with that lighter weight gear out in the field for six plus months at a time. How much do you think, I mean, you don't have, obviously saying like in poundage would be unrealistic to ask, but how much do you think you can reduce just by having better skills and having better knowledge of where you're at or what you're doing? Like, is, is it, a lot easier to go, oh, well, I, I know how to, to fashion this or do these things. I'm not going to need this extra stuff because I know I, can, I only need maybe this one thing that does multiple things. You can, you can cut a lot that way. And it just depends on how comfortable you are at being uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I had, I, I, I recently switched, but I had a tarp that I used for camping. It was a Dyneema tarp made by a company called Z-Pax. And it weighed with all of my, all of my strings attached to it, all of my posts to go in the ground, everything, seven ounces. And that was my shelter. The problem is, is I was stuck under a seven foot by nine foot tarp anytime I went camping. So I was like, okay, you know, blowing wind, blowing rain. If you do it just right, you can stay pretty dry. But if I want to look at this, as a weekend thing, it's fine. If I want to look at this as a survivalist thing, I probably need more. And uh, that's when I went to 
a bivy sack, a waterproof, high quality bivy sack made by like outdoor research. And outdoor research makes some really good high quality ones. Uh, there's a couple other REI makes a pretty good all weather one. They weigh about a pound. So I went from seven ounces to a pound. Now inside that, it's very claustrophobic if you're not used to it. It's like sleeping in a coffin, but it's very easy to set up. It's quick, boom, bam, you're in, you're out of the weather. It, you can't get changed in them unless you're a contortionist. So, I mean, how comfortable are you at being uncomfortable? Then comes along, okay, now we're, now we're going to have to start talking about money. How much money are you willing to spend to cut the weight? So since I do a lot of hiking, and since I do kind of look at this as practice or as a skill set, I went ahead and I put the money in on what's called a Dyneema tent. Now, mine came from a company called uh, Tarp Tent. They're a U.S.-based company. Uh, they make awesome stuff. It's expensive as hell if you get the high-end stuff. I bought a high-end tent. It's a one-person tent. It's called the Pro Trail. It's actually called the Pro Trail Lee. It's super easy to set up. It's a one-person tent. I have tons of room in it. It was almost $500 for a tent for one person, but it weighs under one pound, right at one pound. And I've got all the room I need. I can set up in it. I can change clothes. I can do whatever. So you kind of got to count dollars versus convenience versus how comfortable are you at being uncomfortable. You can live in a poncho if that's, if that's your jam. I mean, it's doable to live in a freaking seven to, to nine ounce poncho out in the woods and throw that in your bag. And you're like, dude, I got a poncho and a whoopie. I'm good. So, I mean, it, it really, it does kind of depend on your skill because you do have to know how to build the shelters with those. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And don't forget the whoopie. <laughs> Always got to have a whoopie. My whoopie finally died. I was oh. sad. Oh man. I've had it since 2005 and it died this year. Oh geez. That's okay. I've switched everything over to the high end down comfortable stuff. Now oh. it weighs, <laughs> it weighs less, but it's expensive too. Yeah. That will conclude this part of the conversation with Bo. So join us next time as we finish the exciting chat that Mr. Pixel and I have with Bo. So see you guys and have an exciting July.